mother was proud of her grace, her quiet strength, her work ethic. He'd watch with pride as she went about her chores. Her mother was proud of her heart, her joy, her compassion, the way she cared for the babies of the village, the way she would laugh and play with the other children. Her mother would beam with pride when women would ask her to babysit or help them. Her grace, strength, compassion, kindness had also been noticed by others, by boys. She'd been chosen, selected, betrothed. 13 to 15 was the typical age of betrothal in her day, and this little 13-year-old was engaged to be married to a man. Do you remember being 13? It's a great age, but it's also a difficult age. Everything changes almost daily. The ground moves under your feet with the constancy of waves on a beach. Each change just comes one after another, and before you've adjusted to one, another sweeps over you. It's one of those liminal times in life, a between time. No longer a child, not yet an adult, somewhere in the middle. That's part of what makes it so hard. Full of life, awkward, fun, goofy, girly, womanly, perfect as she could be in every way. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to her, and in that one instance, there went childhood. Over. Done. That one brush with heaven changed it all. In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Good morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. We're glad you're here. Let me tell you what you've stumbled into because you picked a good day to visit. We have a lot of stuff going on today. Um, as you were coming in, you might have noticed all the gifts under the tree there. We're collecting gifts uh, under our giving tree. That is, uh, that is where we're partnering with CPS, Walker County Orphan Care, and we're providing Christmas gifts for families who might struggle otherwise. These aren't the uh, typical foster families that get uh, money from the state or any of that. These are are family placements. One of the ones that we're helping is a grandmother who is now in her old age raising a nine-year-old and a three-year-old. Some of you guys who are 70 years old, think about how that would feel. Think about how overwhelmed you would be in that moment if your fixed income suddenly had to buy Christmas for a nine-year-old and a three-year-old. 
that's a struggle. And so as a church, we're partnering to help out with those kind of things. So those are due today. I can tell from the looks on some of your faces that you just remembered that. It's okay. You can bring them by uh, tomorrow in the office. It won't be too late. So make sure you remember that. Um, Next Friday, if you want to come by and bring your kiddos, there's going to be a kid's pony party. I don't know what else to call it. Um, there's going to be ponies, and they're going to be dressed appropriately for the holidays. I have no idea what that looks like. The picture in my mind is awesome. I'm sure what is in my imagination is worse than what's actually going to be, but you want to come and get your kids' picture made with the, the, the festive Christmas ponies. Um, also, next week is the youth Christmas party. Youth, uh, teenagers, you need to see Evan. He'll tell you more about that. Um, if you don't know Evan, Evan, wave. That, that guy right there. Um, so go take care of him. Um, this morning, we're stepping off in to, to look at Mary. We have been in our series, Unwrapping Christmas, and I, I thank uh, Kaylin Love for uh, being Mary for me this morning and for uh, um, Robert Allen, Todd, and Kara Tipton for uh, helping us to get that, that uh, scripture in our minds. I think we've heard this story so many times. And our culture has so deified Mary that we forget what, what a big deal this was. Mary, or Miriam as she would have been known, is, is another person in a long line of people who have a brush with heaven. And it changes the entire trajectory of their life. Think about Abraham. Abraham had to pick up and move to another country. He had to raise a child in his twilight years. That was never part of his plan. Think about Moses, who's just tending sheep and goes to see why a bush is on fire. And before he knows it, he is standing before the principalities and powers of the world to represent the power of the universe. Think about all the others. We can, we can go through Joshua and Deborah and Gideon and Samson and Saul and David and Isaiah, Jeremiah. We can keep going with people who brushed, who came into contact with heaven, who had a, 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 a connection with God in some way, and it totally changed what they envisioned their life being forever. And then we come to Mary. God didn't ask Mary to go anywhere. He didn't ask her to lead anything. He didn't ask her to, to, to take up arms or be a, a judge or, or, or a ruler. He asked her to have a child. And that's a big deal in itself. But God asked her to have His child. Now, put yourself in Mary's position for a little bit. 13 to 15 years old, barely a woman in that society, betrothed, engaged to be married. What would the first thoughts be that are going through your head? How how is this going to work? That's what she asks. How is this going to work? Because I'm a virgin. That's her first thought is, um, what's going to happen here? I think the second thought's got to be my parents are going to kill me, right? I mean, think about it. If if you're 13 to 15 years old, I've been talking to Allie all week because she's 13 years old, asking her, how would you feel if if an angel appeared to you tomorrow and said you're going to have a baby? And that was one of her first reactions. My parents are going to kill me. 
I know that had to be part of it. Mary is unmarried. Yes, she's pledged to be married, and in that society, that betrothal is like marriage, but she is unmarried. So when she becomes pregnant, she's going to disappoint everyone. Think about that. Everyone. Because really, apart from Elizabeth, who's going to believe that God told me to have a baby story? Honestly. Everybody in her life is going to look at her differently from this moment on. Everyone. It's a big deal. Her father, her mother, her aunts and uncles, her her rabbi, the people of her town. You know, she lived in a small town. She lived in one of those places where everybody knows everybody else's business. So this is not going to be a secret. And the rumors are going to fly. And they're going to talk because that's what people do. And as they talk, they're going to embellish that story. It's going to get better and better as it's told. But the scary part of this is, if those thoughts, if those rumors, if that gossip should turn to anger in that society, the law stated that she could be drugged to the city gate and they would stone her. That means your family, your friends, your junior high science teacher, your preacher, the people in your church are going to take you out to the gate and throw rocks at you until you die. It's a big deal what's happening to Mary here. There stood an angel of the Lord. An angel of the Lord who hasn't appeared in over 400 years. There has been no word from the Lord in Israel in centuries. And there stands an angel of the Lord sent to this girl, almost a woman, asking her to radically bend the ark of her life, to change everything that she had ever dreamed of her life being, to do something totally different that's going to cost her everything that was valuable in her life. We know that in first century Jewish culture, a girl who became pregnant out of wedlock could be in danger. That that society, like a lot of Middle Eastern societies today, practiced honor killing. And so to say yes in this instance not just, didn't just ostracize her. It didn't just uh, alienate her. It put her very life in danger. She'd be scorned and rejected. She'd be uh, separated. Those leisurely walks to the well wouldn't happen because those other women wouldn't let her go with them anymore. That hanging out and, and, and other women of the village asking her to babysit is not going to happen anymore because she's unclean. You ever notice how in the Gospels Jesus always seems to, to have a soft spot for the, the women who are alienated, who are ostracized, who are on the edges? You know, part of that's because He's God, and God loves everybody. He made each one of us. And so that's part of it. But I think the other part of it is that He grew up seeing the way His mother was treated. Because she would have always been looked at as the adulterous woman. She would have always been viewed as the one who became pregnant out of wedlock. And that society, just like ours, had profane names for children born out of wedlock. And that's what Jesus would have been called. And this is the special honor that God bestows on his favored one. That's what the angel calls her. I used to know a guy, and when you ask him, you know, 
as in a greeting, you say, how you doing? That's what we do. I'd say, hey, how you doing? He would say, I'm blessed and highly favored. That was his standard answer. And then when we studied this one Sunday, he said, I'm going to have to change that because being highly favored is a scary thing. It is no benign thing to be favored of God. It's terrifying because he's going to change everything. So how does this girl, this child, reply to God's call? You know, last week we looked at a a, a man of God, right? A, a, A righteous man, a priest who had been his whole life serving in the temple, serving the Lord. And and when God says to him, your wife's going to have a baby that you've prayed for, that you've asked for, he goes, really? How's that going to work? There's doubt in his response. Mary asks how this is going to work, but based on the angel's response, this is the same angel, Gabriel doesn't get mad at her. Gabriel is looking at her and hearing a genuine response. She's genuinely wanting to know, how's this going to work? And Mary answers, Let it be done with me according to your word. This girl responds with a faith well beyond her years. Let it be done to me according to your word. That yes doesn't just change her life. It changes the world. Let it be done to me according to to your word. Think about this. Unlike her ancestors, she doesn't try to wiggle out of this. She doesn't, like Moses, say she has a speech impediment. Uh, She doesn't, uh, like Jonah, hop on a boat and go the other direction. She doesn't laugh like Sarah. She says, let it be done to me according to your word. The danger I think we get in becoming too familiar with Mary is that we don't realize what a big deal this was. It distances her from us and we lose the humanity of this story. You know, I struggle with somebody who just jumps headlong and and doesn't think about it. I, I don't have that kind of faith. I hope that there was a long pause here between Gabriel's question and Mary's answer. I hope in my brain that, that she's weighing all these things in her mind. That her entire future that she had mapped out in front of her is flashing before her eyes and she's realizing that my answer here is going to change that forever. She's weighing faith. And seeing if it's really worth it. Then the angel departed from her. That's how it ends. That's the gap, right? Think about how much easier her life would have been if that angel would have appeared to her in the courtyard. If that angel would have appeared to her out in front of other people. Think about how much easier Mary's life would have been if that angel would have stood on top of the temple and called out to her. It would have changed everything. But that's not the way it happened. And then the angel departed from her. That's that gap. When we have that mountaintop experience, you know, that that gospel meeting, that camp, that uh, mission trip, whatever it is, and, and everything, and we're on this high, and then we come back to the real world, and there's that gap. The angel departed from her. 
in that moment after the calling, that moment when the, the experience fades and life in the valley begins. That's the, that's the hard part. But Mary said yes. Too many times I'm guilty of responding like Zechariah. I respond in doubt. Really, God? How's this going to work? I'm not really sure that I trust that this is going to happen the way you're telling me it's going to happen. I want to respond like Mary. I want to have that kind of yes. Let it be done to me according to your word. But I get scared. We get scared. We count the costs and we realize following God is really, really expensive. It may cost us our family. It may cost us our friends. It may cost us our reputation. It may cost us our finances, our job. It may cost us our very life. And it's hard to say yes. So we start looking for confirmation, right? Maybe this wasn't really God. Maybe this was just some bad tacos. You know, maybe it was all a hallucination. Maybe it didn't really happen. And I start looking for confirmation. How, how, how can I get some backup on this? How can I find out that this is really God? That's Zechariah. How do I know this is really true? Is Zechariah's response. Mary, though, says yes. When the cost is shame, reproach, loss, hatred, maybe even death, she says yes. And that's the terrifying gift of the call of God. This morning, if you felt the call of God in your life, let, let me tell you, it's time to move. When God calls you, when God tells you to move, inaction, even if that's seeking confirmation, is disobedience. When God calls you to do something, the only response is, let it be done to me according to your word. But that's scary. That's terrifying. Mary becomes another in a long line of biblical youth, young people that God calls. She tells all of us that God can ask great things. You want to know why we spend the church's money on youth ministers and on children's ministers? Because God traditionally, forever, throughout Scripture, throughout history, works through the young. Young people, college students, high school students, young people, you're going to hear people tell you you're the church of the future. Don't listen to that. That's nonsense. You're the church, period. The Holy Spirit that lives in you is no different than the Holy Spirit that lives in anybody who is a baptized believer in this room. And so there's no junior league. There's no B team. There's no JV. You're a Christian. You're on the team. And you're just as much a believer as anybody else. If God's calling you, though, it may cost you popularity. It may cost you friends. It may cost you the plan that you had mapped out for your future. But when God calls you, the only possible answer is, let it be done to me according to your will. See, Mary becomes the first of many in the New Testament who are called on to do impossible things. Those who would become embarrassments to their family, communities. She reminds us that the godly thing isn't always the prim and proper thing. That most times following God involves risk. That's the call of God. 
That's the gift of the call of God. We used to joke among preachers that whenever a preacher is called to another work, he's never called to less money or smaller churches. You notice that? I don't know why that works that way, but it does. The call of God, though, is traditionally not like that. The call of God is usually somewhere you don't want to go and something you don't want to do. The call of God is scary, it's dangerous, it's risky. It may have cost her her marriage. We don't know what happened to Joseph. He may have died. It may be that the pressure of being who he had to be was more than he could take. And like many fathers today, he couldn't take it and ran off. We don't know. Ultimately, it's going to cost her everything because she's going to watch her firstborn tortured and killed in the most horrible way imaginable. Shame, scorn, rejection, heartbreak, the mistake of the, 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 the call of God is costly. In this scene, when the divine comes crashing into earth, Mary becomes our example that in the ways of God, we might become like her. We want to become like her, that we can have the courage to say, let it be to me according to your word. For 400 years, God had been silent, absent. No judges, no prophets, no scriptures, no angelic appearances. And then here, God speaks to a girl. And then in 40 weeks, Emmanuel, God with us. God's plan is never our plan. But it's always so much better than anything we could ask or imagine. That's where we stand this morning. We stand in a place, many of us, similar to the place where Mary is. We may not have an angelic appearance. We may not have Gabriel standing in front of us. But you're still being called. God is still calling you to something. You know what that is. God may be calling you to, to be a better husband, to be a better father. God may be calling you to, to, to minister to those in the workplace. God may be calling you right now to, to become a Christian, to follow Him, to give up trying to do things your own way. I don't know what the call of God is in your life, but I do know that all that stands between you and the amazing plan of God is that, yes, let it be done to me according to your word. And so the question is this morning, do we have the guts to answer like this young girl? Do we have the guts to accept that call? We're going to offer you an opportunity to do that this morning. And as we sing this song, I hope that you will accept that call. Whether it's publicly coming down here and putting on your Lord in baptism, whether it's uh, publicly professing that you want to change everything and get back on track, or whether it's privately in your seat, praying to God and talking to Him about accepting His call. That's all that matters. However, we can help you accept that call. Won't you let us right now while together we stand and sing. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could Rescue the souls of men. Oh, you rescue the souls of men. Counselor, comforter, keeper. 
Spirit, we long to embrace. You offer hope when our hearts have hopelessly lost our way. Oh, we've hopelessly lost our way. You are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger for. Almighty, infinite Father, faithfully loving your own. Here in our weakness you find falling before your throne. Oh, we're falling before your throne. You are the one that we praise, and you are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger for. You are the one that we praise, and you are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace our waits hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger.